Hello, I'm Brittany Wilson. I'm Nia Wasink, and you're listening to The, the Nonprofit, Nonprofit Reframe. Together, Nia and I have over 30 years of nonprofit experience. We've worked the program side, the business side, and everything in between. We are reframing the nonprofit experience by challenging the status quo because we know that nonprofits and their staff are undervalued, under resourced, and unrelenting. Welcome back to the Nonprofit Reframe. Happy Monday, and for the first time in a very long time. It's actually Monday that we're recording. What a treat. We are synced up. Love it. Um, Feels good to be back. This will be released the first Monday of February. I can't believe this will be February. Holy cow. (laughs) We are just moving right along through 2021. So, Brittany, you've been back in Colorado for a bit. How's it going? How are you getting settled? Um, man, it has been a disaster. (laughs) One disaster after another. Welcome home. Welcome home is right. Um, First of all, it's just our house has imploded, you know, from moving everything, like trying to unpack, I guess, do laundry. Um, and then we still had all of our Christmas decorations up. So having to put those away, it's just been, um, such a mess and trying to get organized and sort of recalibrated for going back to work and school. And then, um, our sewer system exploded. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like you should be a bit more specific because, our listeners now have this vision of like your house filled with sewage and it's not quite like that. Well, if I had a basement, I've been told it would have been like that. Thank God. Thank Godness you don't. <laughs> thank Godness I don't. I know. It's something I complain about on the reg and about not having a basement because I would love to have one. And my husband keeps telling me how fortunate we are that we don't have one. And I guess in this case, he's correct. This one Phew. singular case, this one singular time. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we weren't expecting that, but um, just a note out there that if you are going to be away from your home for an extended period of time, it's kind of like, you know, where you're supposed to go out and start the car once a week. You need to, like, run water through your pipes because... I mean, there was an issue, I guess, already before we left that we didn't know about, but being gone um, really kind of sped up that process. And so now we are making a major investment into our septic system. (laughs) What everybody wants to do. Happy 2021. Yes. Let's hope Biden's next stimulus gets passed real quick. (laughs) It truly is full of shit. Um, That's actually what I said to Gabriel. (laughs) I looked at him when we got the bill and I said, oh, let's hope the stimulus bill goes through. Uh, Anyways, yeah. So it's been kind of tumultuous coming back, but we're getting there. Um, We have flushing toilets now, so that's a plus. And the house is getting reorganized, and I have a renewed sense of, um, let's just organize everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel that. So, <laughs> you've been doing a little bit of that, right? Yeah. Um, so, for all of our listeners out there, um, I'm a bit of a crafter, 
Um, but I'm like a craft generalist. Like I do a lot of things adequately. You're like a Jill of all craft trades. Yeah. But there's not like one that I'm really good at. Like I've got a sewing machine and I'll do some sewing projects here and there. And I crochet and I embroider. And, um, but really at the end of the day, what I discovered is I like shopping for craft supplies. That's my true <laughs> hobby. <laughs> so uh, post Christmas, I go to like put things back from all like the gifts I was making or decorating and they it fucking didn't fit. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting how that happens, right? Yeah, so I spent this weekend reorganizing, doing some purging, discovered that I have enough yarn to blanket the city of Longmont in in (laughs) knit goods, probably. Um, And so I will continue this purge for the next few months, I believe. Yeah, it feels good. I mean, once you get into it... Yeah, oh my gosh. It feels good to kind of, like, you you feel... um, lighter see the problem is though as i'm doing this and i've got like now a spot on a shelf that's totally empty i was like wow you know what would fit there perfectly is a brand new cricket oh (laughs) please get a cricket i want one so bad please get a cricket so that i can borrow it please (laughs) i've wanted one for years well, one of our mutual friends has one and has been sharing her uh cricket journey with me and it just wants makes me want one that much more Oh my gosh, we are so middle-aged women right now. <laughs> middle-aged white women. <laughs> yes, jonesing over a cricket. For those of you who don't know what a cricket is, it's like this, um, it's almost like a mini CNC cutting machine, but like you, you can use it for vinyl. People use it for wood. You can etch it on glass. And so people are using it to like customize, customize mugs and shirts and all the things. It's basically all the things that you see on Etsy that are customized yeah. are done on something like a cricket. Mm-hmm. I uh, tried to convince my husband because fire shirts are a big thing. Like if you go and you you fight a specific wildfire, you get a shirt from that. And I was like, mm. you always want one for the air tanker base. We could make them now. <gasps> and then you could take all of his shirts and cut them up and make a quilt. He already has one of those. Already did that oh. once. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Look at you. I know. If we got a cricket, we could make um, nonprofit reframe merch with it. I know. I, I As I'm like trying to justify this to my <laughs> husband, I'm like, this is a moneymaker for us. I mean, yes. It's, it's a an- business expense and a possible, a possible revenue stream. For sure. 100%. <laughs> I can stop consulting because I'm going to open my Etsy shop. <laughs> <laughs> one can dream. One can dream. Well, who knows? Stay tuned, listeners. Maybe you'll see uh, some new products popping up soon. You know, if if this third stimmy gets passed, I, cricket, it's coming my way. <laughs> So what are we talking about today? (laughs) Okay, listeners. So we are continuing on our donor cycle journey. Uh, We we started off identifying. We swiped right. Then we cultivated. We went on some dates. We got to learn about our new beau. We were soliciting, which means getting engaged, not... Yeah, not uh, what you think. Yeah, yeah. Um, Then we're going to assume... That the gift was given. The marriage occurred. And so what do we do now? We acknowledge. We thank them. 
we let them know their gift has been received and is already doing great work. So what is the acknowledgement in our dating scenario? This is where the metaphor breaks down for me. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe this is like the anniversary gifts, which also goes into stewardship. Maybe this is like the morning after the wedding when the spouse like gets you breakfast in, in bed. Okay. All right. Something like that. Well, they we need to at least, yeah, acknowledge them, thank them, um, and we have to do that with our donors too, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that donor acknowledgement process is um, a pretty basic need mm-hmm. of any fundraising program. And I think, again, often skipped over or yep. uh, just not like invested in properly. Right, not personalized mm-hmm. in the ways that it should be at certain levels or um, as efficient. Yes. So I definitely know that. Um, I have had sort of a career so far of going into places that maybe don't have the most robust fundraising program. No. And yeah, <laughs> and building it out um, and that acknowledgement process Partly because maybe it's the whole like getting the data, right? Like, is there an appropriate database? Does it have correct information in it? Mm -hmm. Do we know how to pull the reports out of it in order to do the acknowledgements? Or can we automate it within the system? Like, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So I can't tell you how many times I have first started working places don't understand the database and have been running all of the acknowledgement process like off of Excel spreadsheets. Oh yeah. Until I could get to a place where I just import that shit and then try to start over. Uh, or the ones where we're not even at, at Excel level. We're not mail merging. We literally have a word document and we updated it each time a donation comes in to say, dear John, thanks for your donation of $25. And print it out. Oh, gosh. It can be so laborious. Yeah. I mean, and that's why it's often overlooked. Yeah. Um, it also can be pretty streamlined and efficient, um, like we said, but you sort of have to be able to put the work into it. And we all know that um, there's usually only like one person, if you're lucky, even at every place that actually knows how to use the database. <laughs> so true. So true. And when that person leaves, you're fucked. Yeah. Like, I'm. everybody else is like, I don't know. I'm dealing with that with a client right now. Uh, for all of our fundraisers out there, we know it's year-end statement season. Hang in there, folks. You're going to get through this. Um, so that they're in that situation. New development person, still not super comfortable with the, um, the database. Um, and, and it's one I actually kind of like, Bloomerang. I'm going to give a little plug. It's a Whoa, look at that. Shout out. It's a great CRM, especially for smaller shops. It allows for a lot of automation um, and yet is pretty simple to use and learn. Um, and they do a ton of webinars and stuff, which I really appreciate. So anyway, I sent her to one of their like year-end tax statement things. And she called me straight up in tears last week trying to figure Aww. out how to run these gosh darn letters. So uh, it's it's hard. It's hard when it's like a new system to you and... You don't have a team with multiple people on it who all know it and you can leverage that expertise. 
Yeah. And, you know, best practices is what? You get that acknowledgement out within a week of receipt? Yeah, for sure. Which, so how often does that happen? The ticking. Right? <laughs> I, especially the post-event ones. You'll get one and be like, wait, this... I actually attended this event in person, so it was before March of 2020. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. Glad I finally got that letter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is definitely the season, um, those tax letters that you were talking about, but also the people that are calling and freaking out because they're doing their taxes and they can't find that donation. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, or they think they're wrong, and so they call angry about it. Whoo. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -mm. What do you think about that, though? Let's just stop for a minute, because I know it's best practice to send out a year-end statement, Mm -hmm. but why do we send out individual letters if we're just going to send a year-end statement? And when do you think it's, like, on the donor to keep track of that? Oh, I think it's always on the donor, and they're always going to blame us if it's wrong. But I think here's where, if if we had the time and capacity – to personalize it a bit more, it really is more than anything another touch point. So if that initial yeah. acknowledgement really speaks to why that gift was given, when that was given, really tailored to that, and then the year-end statement can also be a bit of a 2020 in review. Like that, yeah. that then it adds additional communications with the donor and provides an additional value because, hey, we're making it easier by summarizing your donations here. Um, but I, I think not enough organizations use it that way. And so it is just like this additional burden for the development folks. It's expensive. That too. Um, because we're also talking primarily about mailed. I'm seeing more organizations go to emailed. I have too. What I've do you think about that? Partic- I've noticed it particularly this year. Um, I like it. I, I wonder, I'm, I'm sure there's some generational differences. Gosh, do I prefer it? Because yeah. like I have to, scan and upload all my documents to my accountant anyway if you email it to me boom that like takes out three steps for me and it's there and i know oh i just so prefer that i thought it was slick the ones that i have received were really slick yeah i don't like to send i'm just gonna say it this Mm -hmm. is gonna be maybe controversial i don't really like to send year-end statements to people that only made one gift yeah, uh, I I feel you there. Um, one of my clients, they decided to mail statements with multiple gifts and just email uh, folks who had only done the one. And I thought that was actually kind of a nice middle ground. Yeah. Yeah. But again, in order to even do those statements, you have to be confident that your data is clean. Right. And correct. And when it's not, you find out real quick. You do. And that um, that can hurt. I mean, yeah. sometimes, I mean, I have definitely worked at a lot of places where we have not done year-end statements. I mean, that's a goal. We're working towards being able to do that. But mm-hmm. we are not at a place where we feel comfortable. Because the risk of sending out a year-end statement to X thousand of people and having something wrong versus just dealing one-on-one with those that reach out to us that need, it's kind of, um, you know, which one's going to be a little bit easier to deal with. Right. Yeah. What's what's the phrase my husband always says? Six of one, half dozen of the other. Yep. Love that. 
Uh, speaking of breaking news, uh, my husband just texted. He got his first vaccine. Yay! Yay! Woohoo! Oh, that's so wonderful. Oh, exciting day at the Wassings. You'll sleep better tonight. That is for sure. That's great. That's great. Well, you have to keep us updated on that. Yes. Okay, so we've talked about like the form letter acknowledgments with the like yes. tax ID, all that stuff in there. But I mean, we also know obviously that best practices would have some additional interactions. So sometimes it's as simple as like the handwritten thanks on uh-huh. the letter. It could be a totally separate note card. It could be a phone call. Yep. Um, can we talk about Colorado Gives Day phone calls? We can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's an expectation now. Um, it used to be if you did this, it set you apart. And now I feel like it's the you uh, have to the default. Yeah. It's not the exception. That you're making real-time thank you calls on Colorado Gives Day as those donations are coming in. Yes. I really like doing it, though. Yeah. I mean, if you have the infrastructure set up that you have the volunteers you need or the board members or staff or whomever to make them, um, people seem really appreciative. I find, too, that it's a fun way to engage board members in like the excitement of Colorado Gives Day um, and also um, give them something meaningful to do at year end because so so often they're like we know a lot's going on but we don't know how to plug in that is such a great specific thing they can do is make those calls make them quickly Um, but again like it does require a little bit of organization Um, for for those of you um, who are new to this kind of concept what I usually do I'll set up shifts. Um, and so I'll yep. say, you know, we've got a 10 a.m., a noon, a 2, a 4, and then a 9 a.m. the next morning. You sign up for which time you want. At that time, you're going to get a list of donors, a script, and you have the next hour to make those calls. So. Exactly. And truth be told, people don't answer their phone anymore. No. Gosh. So 90% just go leaving, to voicemail. Yeah. 90% go to voicemail. Um, But when you do get someone on the phone, it can be delightful. Those are the ones that are really special. Every so often you get the folks who are really confused um, and can be a little bit rude, but that doesn't happen all that often. (laughs) So this is what I like to do. I like to make a game out of that first 15 seconds or even five seconds in the phone call because there's this moment of where they answer and you can just hear it in their voice. They're like, who the hell is this? You know? <laughs> so they don't want to engage yeah. if it's going to be – because they're, like, ready to shut it down. Oh, totally. Like, I don't have time right now. I don't need a warranty on my car. Go away. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I have this game of, like, can I get past the initial wall mm-hmm. and get to um, the warmth on the oh. other side? Because it just starts real cold. Yeah. Like, yes. And you're like, hi, this is Brittany Wilson. I'm calling from blah, blah, blah. And yes, <laughs> I, I just, I don't want to take up a lot of your time. I am merely calling to thank you. And then they're like, oh, okay. And I'm like, I got him. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a good point though. I, in the scripts that um, I'll send to board members, I always say like, you got to say the thanks within like the first two sentences because otherwise they assume. And I've had people, I once had somebody, um, 
like interrupt me before I got to the thanks. And he was like, I already sent you money. And I was like, I know. That's why I'm, <laughs> that's why I'm calling you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I mean, we as a society, though, have just become so jaded to phone calls. I fucking hate them. I know I've said it before. I'll say it again. I hate phone calls out of the blue. I don't. I love and I call you all the time. I will start a text and I'm like, why the hell am I putting five paragraphs together in a text when I could call her and we could have this conversation in 30 seconds? But I feel like such an old maid, like totally, it's clear I'm in a different generation than you when I call you all the time. Well, it's different for people I know. Like, first off, I wouldn't answer if I didn't want to talk to you. Good to know. Good to know. It's more the the random numbers. Like, those are the ones where I'm like, why is this person calling me? Why is this number on my phone? Like, I already put up the barrier. And right. no, I don't want. I don't want to talk to them. You can call me anytime, Brittany. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Well, especially now since we're working from home and I'm making all the phone calls from my cell phone, which Mm -hmm. has an Ohio area code, so they're automatically suspicious anyways. Oh, yeah. For sure. That's really funny. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I think once you get to a place um, within your development program that you can be a bit more savvy and strategic than setting up those kind of different levels. Yeah. You know, when I really have it rocking and rolling is when, um, you know, we are updating our thank you letter frequently. So it's staying, um, what do I want to say? Like consistent with the time of year and certain things that are going on. And then we have set it up so that, um, you know, every donor receives X, but donors over this get Y and donors over that get Z. Mm-hmm. Um, so also, I don't know about you, but where I've worked, having both my signature and my CEO's or ED's signature on those, particularly those major donors that we're both cultivating mm-hmm. so that they're seeing my name too. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, if we're talking gold standard, my my sincerest wish for fundraising departments across the country would be that everything would be automated. So your finance person puts the donation into the CRM and boom, they get a highly specified letter. Okay, this is a monthly gift. So th- they that triggers this le- letter. Oh, they restricted it to this program. That triggers this letter. Like all of that happens. Oh, it's a, a gift over this amount. The CEO gets pinged to send a an email or call them right handwritten note exactly like that i would love that because i feel like it it is such a drain otherwise like because you're keeping all that in your brain and you're having to think through that when most crms do have that capability it's just so much work up front to set it up that most mid-sized organizations i'm working with never get to that so you're saying the finance person puts it into the crm well it depends i mean every organization is different yeah, but how amazing would that be if there was just one place that the donations were going into that... Well, it should, uh, because you should have an integration with your accounting software. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> I mean, how about it's like, oh, well, yeah, there's an integration, but it only flows this way to this way. Yeah. And not this way back. 
and accounting's like, screw that. I'm not like it's got to go into QuickBooks first. It's not going to go into your CRM and then flow into QuickBooks yeah. because we got to be able to look at it. Yeah, I know. I know that's the reality, but it could still be part of my my hopes and dreams. So we've had our rosy glasses on and we've talked about how nice it is to make thank you calls and to get boards involved, in it, your board members involved in it because it's great. Um, it can also be a huge pain in the ass. Totally. I, I want to pause on that for a minute, though. I feel like we have now fully adopted rosy glasses since that's not mm-hmm. a thing outside of the podcast. So I'm pretty sure that's the first piece of branded merch we need when I Done. get my cricket. Done. Rosy glasses. <laughs> Rosy glasses. Trademark. Yes. <laughs> but yes, you're right. The reality is so much of that isn't happening. Well, no, I mean, because we do this podcast because we want to empathize with our fellow fundraisers and nonprofit staff about the hurdles that they have to jump over on a daily basis. And that's one of them. I'm going to tell you right now, putting together the list, so like pulling the list of the thank you calls that need to be made, sending out the email to the board to find out who will actually make calls, nobody responding, sending out a second email saying, no, we really do. We need two more people to make calls, getting the people to say, okay, I'll make them, writing the script, and then in the list that you send the board members, making sure that you're putting um, contextual notes. Yep. So, oh, this person actually used to be on the board five years ago, or this person gave this gift and did this, or this person's friends with this board member, or, you know, whatever it might be, so that they can actually make an informed phone call. And then having them make the calls, having them take notes from the calls, getting the notes back from the calls, and then if any of those notes need to be put into the record of the person they called in your CRM, getting those back in. Easy. Yeah. Like I, I can devote a full-time equivalent to that. I know. And so that's where, depending on how big of a shop you are, I'm like, I'm just going to do it myself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I was thinking about this too in preparation for this episode of like, we often talk about who is the best person to be reaching out and thanking donors. And it is whoever they have that relationship with. Um, yeah. and that's not always totally possible. Um, I, I was thinking about, um, one specific set of donors who, uh, you cultivated as the development person. And then I was a board member for that organization. And so you handed off that relationship as you were leaving to me as a yep. board member. Um, and that's still tricky when there is an infrastructure around it. And so like, I talked to the incoming development staff of like, Hey, if anything ha- happens with them, let me know. I'm happy to write the letter, to call them, to do whatever, so that they continue to have that touch point. Well, that, again, like infrastructure-wise, that wasn't always totally feasible. Um, right. And so there, it, it, it does, like, it ends up being a clunky system that relies on a lot of, like, personal memory, which is always going to be imperfect. Right. And that information getting into your CRM system. I mean, that's like a whole nother episode. Yeah. Have you ever done like board portfolios? I'm doing them right now. Oh, nice. Yeah. 
I see a lot of benefit in it, and especially in terms of maintaining that connection uh, with the organization, not having it be staff, but it requires, again, so much more. Like now, every time a donation comes in from somebody who's in a board portfolio, there has to be some way for you, the system, something to know that that's actually assigned to Sally Sue. Right. And so Sally knows that gift that she's been cultivating was actually made. Right. I know. So much of it is about communication. Mm-hmm. And um, that's where you can come off looking really disorganized and the left hand doesn't know what the right is doing. And For sure. I hate that. Yeah. I hate that. Well, so we talk a lot about acknowledgments and thank yous. Um, and, you know, even beyond that, the bigger gifts we have in person, you know, when we could be in person, in-person thank yous, mm-hmm. um, particularly around capital campaign gifts maybe it's an acknowledgement like a plaque or a something mm. where their names on it Blech. um but this is all individual giving but then um that's kind of been our uh process through this whole series is looking at each step of this donor cycle but in all the different giving yeah so it it gets so tricky when you look at foundations or DAF gifts um, yep. because they fall out of out of the traditional patterns, out of the systems we have set up. So um, if your organization receives a grant, a donation, whatever, from another charitable entity, it's not tax deductible. Right. And so many organizations don't, don't fix that on their letters. It still says, you know, your $500 is deductible. Um, and I think a lot of organizations don't realize that communications to DAFs do typically get passed on. Yeah. And we should be cultivating them, even though we maybe don't know who they are, you know, thanks to the the Sheep in the Mountain Fund for your donation. Like that that's yeah. still an important acknowledgement step in this that uh, because it's not so cut and dried, I think often gets missed. Yeah. And I think, you know... When you're talking, I'm thinking of our local community foundation, and I know how many times I've gone to send out, maybe it's an appeal letter or whatnot, and having to call that list for all of the DAFs that are at that community foundation, because I'm sending 35 letters to them. (laughs) (laughs) Right? That doesn't work. Yeah. But you're right that if you have a relationship with your community foundation and you can talk to them. They will pass on communication to the DAF holders. Yeah. Um, so you can do a handwritten note because that's what's tough is like, well, I don't have their home address. Right. right? I just have the community foundation. Um, but you can write uh, a handwritten note and they will pass it on. Absolutely. Yeah. So a little bit harder. What about um, bigger foundations, bigger funders? You know, similarly, I, I'm a big fan of the handwritten note back to them. Yeah. Um, we... I think I mentioned this before. We often forget to like steward them. It's like, okay, yep, we'll we'll do our reporting requirements, we'll do our application, and we forget that there's a person on the other end that's managing our grant, that's deciding our future funding, and so we need to think about them in this cycle as well. Um, and so, sending those acknowledgement pieces, I think, are important. Um, I, I read an article recently about um, treating like site visits, like interviews, 
So after mm-hmm. a site visit, sending a thank you email oh, or a thank you note. I, I don't know how much in favor I am of all that, mostly because I'm not in favor of the undue burden <laughs> put on nonprofits <laughs> with, from foundations. Um, right. But I'm, I, I'm sure it would be appreciated. Um, but yeah, like that acknowledgement piece needs to happen, even if it isn't for a tax benefit. And, and that's the part that I think gets lost is people are like, well, if they don't need this letter for their taxes, we don't send them anything. It's like, well, the piece about taxes on the letter is ancillary to the communication piece of it. Yeah. It's the touch point you have with those donors showing that you got the gift. I mean, how shitty would it feel to be like, hey, here's a, a, a big amount of money. I think you're going to do great work with it. And you never hear from them again. Right. Well, I'll tell you, and I mean, again, this is kind of going back to individual donors, but, you know, some of my largest gifts that I've received at the different places I've worked at, I have cultivated a relationship with that donor to the point that I can text that person. Yeah. And so even just saying, because a lot of times they give me a heads up, right? Hey, want to let you know we're making this gift, we're sending it from our DAF or we're sending it from here. And so as soon as we get it internally, I'll just text them and say, we received the check today. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh, this is great. And then of course it goes through then the standard process of getting the acknowledgement letter or a phone call from the CEO or a board member and yada, yada. But I think again, as personalized as you can make it Mm -hmm. is the best. And they're always so appreciative. Wow, that was fast. Thank you so much. And Again, provides another touch point. I think it's a good note, too, to um, any organization that's hosting peer fundraisers is give that same advice to anybody who's actually hosting a campaign of their own. Oh, that's great. You know, you you see your grandma donate, call her, send her a note. Like, as you, the fundraiser, it's important that you acknowledge your friends and family members' donations to the the campaign just as much as the organization is going to do so. I'm going to admit something right now okay. that I've never admitted. Ooh. Very vulnerable. I hate writing thank you notes. <laughs> and I'm not even talking about for work. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about in life. Now, I wrote you one, actually, and you gave did. it to you yesterday. That's I did lovely. not hate that because it was a singular note. What I hate is when I have to write 20 of them. So after one of my kids' birthdays. Right. And I want to acknowledge all the gifts or after a wedding or after a baby shower or after when you have so many that you have to write and you have to just sit and write them over and over and over and over again, but try to make them maybe a little bit different or at least different if you know they're going to see each other's. I don't know why. I really don't. It's not, I feel so horrible to say that because I feel like it's the least that I can do. And yet, it's like taxing on my hand. This is so lame. Like I get tired. Like I get tired. My handwriting gets worse and worse and worse. I start misspelling words. Yeah, I don't like it. That's hilarious. <laughs> I've never said it out loud to anybody. I will often say that my parents were prepping me to become a fundraiser by making me do handwritten notes for every single gift. Um, until this Christmas. Uh, here's my list of people who need... Thank you notes. Not a single one checked off. And it is January 25. It is a month after Christmas. And I I actually enjoy writing them. And I try to write them for every single gift I receive. 
big you small. Do. Otherwise, I have not. I have not sent a single one this season. I think you've actually sent me a thank you note for a thank you note I've sent you. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. I remember one time it was early on in our friendship and I was like, wow, that seems a little overkill, but like, okay. <laughs> it probably absolutely was. <laughs> How nice of her. <laughs> I have boxes and boxes and boxes of note cards because yeah. of how many I send. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I get it if it doesn't happen as timely as it should. Yeah. We we see you fundraisers. Uh, the struggle is real. Mm-hmm. And, you know, actually, that reminds me. I got a really neat um, acknowledgement I gave to an organization. Um, it was probably in June, like right as um, all the racial justice stuff was really coming to a head uh, post George Floyd's murder. Um, and so I gave to um, a Black Lives Matter kind of organization. And they did... I I thought this was neat. Um, A few weeks later, they sent out a mass email and just said, thank you so much for donating. We have been flooded with so many gifts that we are behind in processing them, but we want you to know that we received it. We are so grateful. Here's the work we're doing. So they sent it out in mass, which normally I wouldn't recommend, but it was, it was so, um, transparent, transparent. Yeah. That's the word I was looking for. Transparent about like why, and that's right. the best reason. Yeah, you should be flooded with gifts right now. I I don't give a shit about the letter. Like, just go do the work. Right, right. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting when you're working with donors, those uh, – you learn as you get to know them better how they like to be acknowledged. Yeah, for you sure. You know? Um, and it's very different. Yeah. And then there's definitely those, um, which is fine, who, who really publicly want to be acknowledged. And so other forms of acknowledgement, I know we'll sometimes highlight different donors or funders in our e-newsletters and our paper newsletters on social media, always asking them first and getting permission. Um, but there are certain people and foundations that that's what they want. Yeah. And so part of it's learning that, right? Oh, gosh. Yeah, for sure. Because have you ever done that and that's not how they wanted to be acknowledged? Uh-huh. Yeah. Gotten those nasty yeah. grams. Yeah. Uh, I was just reminded of this. <laughs> okay. So um, my first real nonprofit job was working for this organization that ran statewide um, tournaments. And so I would usually be in the tab room tabulating all the results. And so we always worked in pairs and it would be this like rapid fire, 1A, 25, 1B, 37. And you're like reading these scores as quickly as possible because you have to get everything, you know, ready for the tournament. And it was a really efficient system to make sure we didn't make mistakes because it was this back and forth. So then I started working on the fundraising side and took those same skills. So uh, post event, I would use a similar system. And it would be so fucking organized. So, you know, the event ends. We did a luncheon. We put everything into boxes, you know, the pens, the envelopes, just absolutely everything that was ours. And then we'd bring it back to the office to sort. And we'd have it separated checks, cash, credit cards. We'd work in pairs. We'd read them off. We'd tabulate it all. And uh, we're doing this um, super successful event. We sold out. But we're not hitting our numbers. And I'm like, there aren't that many 
empty envelopes, which there will always be, right? You've got couples or just people who decide not to give, but there weren't a sufficient number of empty envelopes to account for the lack of funds. What happened? And we're going through them. And uh, suddenly I'm like, wait, I know this donor pledged in advance. Have we seen this check? And they're like, no. And then I came up and I was like, well, he was sitting with so-and-so. What about them? No. Okay, what about the... We realize we've left an entire box at the venue with three tables worth of envelopes. Yeah. No. So we call the venue. They literally have it on a trolley about to take to the trash can. No. Oh, my God. I've never heard this story. I'm sweating. I'm starting to sweat right now. Like, we've been on the phone with the hotel manager, the valet, like everything. I rush into the valet and I'm like, I'm the person from the event. And I just sprint back to the ballroom where they have kept the box fully intact. They had added like some additional trash. I was like, that's fine. I will take the trash. Don't you worry. Yeah, just give it to me. And so we got it back and we ended up sending like the, the ballroom manager a gift afterwards. We Obviously, we had all the donations. Everything was fine, but... Oh, that was stressful. Anyway, so I had this like advanced process, which helped us find this mistake, which was great. But then it allowed us to get it into the system and letters to be processed that day. So if you attended our event on Friday, you had your letter in hand by Tuesday at the latest. Wow, that's slick. Well, you bring up such a great point. I was going to come back to events and... You know, those are always really hard ones to get those acknowledgement letters out on a timely basis Mm -hmm. um, because there's so much wrap up afterwards, right? Yeah. And so I would say for those of you who attend events, um, you know, just recognize the end of year attending events. Like if you, if it's been more than a week and you haven't received your acknowledgement, it's probably because they're just backlogged and trying to get through them. Um, but it sounds like you had thought ahead of time and created a process to. It was such a system. I had the letter preloaded into the system so that as soon as everything was uploaded, it merged and printed. I mean, it, it was slick. People, this is why you hire mission launch. <laughs> but I don't do your events. Uh-uh. <laughs> no, no. I wonder if they're still using that acknowledgement process. That's a good question. I should ask. Hmm. You should find out. Yeah. I'll text them. (laughs) Well, I think that, I mean, can you think of anything else right now? I think that pretty well covers acknowledgement. What are our biggest takeaways? I I think my, my recommendation, my wish would be more automation. Yes. Find somebody who knows your system and can set things up for you so that it's less work in the midst of heavy fundraising to have to find ways to personalize. If you have a downtime, just set aside time to set those systems up. Totally. Yep. Exactly. Because it will, um, the return will be a million fold throughout the year. Yeah. Especially when you need them. Totally agree. Yeah. And like we said, just personalize as much as possible. Yep. So recognizing that these, like you said, are extra touches and what can you do like these year end letters that people are using to kind of do a recap from the year. It's like a, a mini 
annual report, <laughs> like before things are finalized. The preview of the annual report. Yeah, exactly. Which I think is great, and it shows um, it shows donors what their money is enabling the organization to do, which is always huge. Absolutely, I love it. Well, we want to hear from you. Where were your acknowledgement fails? We just want to hear where you're failing. Holy, oh, we do. <laughs> because it's really cathartic. It is. I mean, that's on this podcast, being able to admit where we got it wrong. It's just so freeing. So please let us know um, where did you fall into that trap um, or where did you get it right? Because we'd love to learn what's working too for people. So how can they reach out to us? You can email us, nonprofitreframe at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And please make sure you're subscribed because we still have part five of the series on stewardship coming next week. All right, great. And like always, if you're in um, a position now where you have capacity to support your local nonprofits, now is the time. They still need you now more than ever in 2021 by giving and giving generously. Thanks, folks. We would like to thank our sponsors. Mission Launch is a Colorado-based nonprofit consulting firm focusing on fundraising and board governance. You can learn more at missionlaunchco.com. And Jake Walker Music, who provides our theme music. You can find him at jakewalkermusic.org. Thank you so much.